0: Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program.
1: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Uh, with me in the studio to talk about government performance and performance management are probably the two top people you'd want to have with you if you were going to talk about this. We have John Kaminsky, which everyone remembers um, from uh, Al Gore's uh, National Partnership to reinvent government and we have john mullins who's with the millennium group the topic of our show today is opportunities and challenges in agency performance management and um um Of course, it's a good show to have right after the issuance of the GAO report that came out measuring agency results under GIPRA, which we will get to shortly. But I want to introduce our guests. We have John Kamensky, as I said, who was the deputy director over at the National Partnership for Reinventing Government under Al Gore, now a senior fellow at the IBM Center for Business of Government here in Washington, D.C. We have John Mullins, who was also in government, had many senior-level positions. In human capital and program management, um, and now he's the chief strategy. Did I get that right? Chief strategy, That's correct. Chief strategy officer at the at the Millennium Group. Um, both who occupy both individuals occupy this space of agency performance. Um, but John, what I'd like to do, and I have two Johns on the show, um, so our listeners will get used to the difference in their voices. What I'd like to do is start with each guest have you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got interested in this topic. Um, for those who are listening, who are in the agencies right now working on these issues, um, I think it's always very interesting to hear from people who sort of reached the top, right? So starting with you, John Kamensky, welcome to the show. It's so nice to get to finally meet you, having seen your name and heard about you for 20 years.
2: And the same uh, I've heard uh, a lot about you and and your uh, affiliations with this whole space here. Uh, thanks again for uh, inviting me onto your show. Um, I uh, was in the federal government for 24 years, and I've been in the private sector now for about the past 15. When I was in and government, he looks so young. Well, and so do you. <laughs> right? so, uh, and, and, and but we're on radio, so nobody can. Right, really we tell.
1: look great on radio. <laughs>
2: And uh, so most of my career in the federal government uh, was at the Government Accountability Office, and I was uh, responsible there for a lot of their federal, state, and local grant um, oversight programs. And when Congress became less interested in the intergovernmental, I moved over to federal agency management issues. And what I found was that while GAO had been looking at how agencies are managed, there was something that seemed to be missing, and there was – Congressional interest in looking at how the government agencies measure and report. And legislation was introduced in, in about 1989, 1990, that would uh, create a, a federal process. And I was asked to, from GAO, to sort of look at this. So I went and looked at what state and local governments were doing as best practice, looking at other countries, and found that not only were they measuring things, but they had changed the way they were doing business, in order to use the measures. And the Canadian um, uh, auditor general told me, he says, you know, it's creating useful measures that get used. And he says, that's easy to say. It's just, it really is hard to get to happen. And I th- was optimistic i thought okay well we're going to have a law and the agencies are going to create strategic plans that are for three to five years an annual operating plan or performance plan and at the end of the year report on the progress they made and that much like the cfo act by having information out there managers are going to take it and use it
1: now we're going to talk about that later how that's just not turned out to be true 20 years later oh you ruined my punchline,
2: <laughs> right <laughs> so true and, and so that's been sort of the, the history of the Government Performance and Results Act. And,
1: and, and your history um, in the space, yes. um, having sort of been there at the very beginning. Well,
2: um, yeah. And we, we, I worked on the team that helped draft the original law. And, and we had folks like Harry Hatchery from the Urban Institute that had done some of this there, Hal Steinberg, who had done this uh, in the state and local sector. So there were a lot of really neat people, Jonathan Brule, all these folks that had helped had had been it, having this experience of trying to how to how do you improve performance in government that helped draft this uh, statute, and uh, it was intentionally con- uh, seen as not prescriptive, just fairly general. OMB in its initial implementation
1: was let agencies figure this out. OMB
2: is not going to give detailed mm. guidance on
1: this. And, but you know, I I, I do want to spend yeah. time talking about the history history of GIPRA because that's okay. sort of why all this you know, why we talk about this today um, is the congressional mandate in GIPRA and then the Modernization Act. But um, I want to give John Mullins an opportunity to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in the space of agency performance management.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, I was kind of enjoying uh, John's (laughs) because it was going down memory lane. Uh, I think we came at this a little bit differently. I recall I have uh, about 28 years in the federal space, and I have about nine years in the private sector working in micro, small, medium, and global businesses. But I was trying to think back, when did I first get introduced to performance? And it was, I came into government in uh, 1979 as a presidential management intern, the second tr- year.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I worked for two leaders in this space, Tom McPhee and Ray Sumser. We had something interesting being implemented at that time. It was called the Civil Service Reform Act.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
3: So we were there, and...
1: We and this is at HHS.
2: This
3: was H. H. W at the time. Yeah. yeah, one of the super H-E-W, agencies. H-E-W, yeah, right, right. One of the super agencies established, I think, through the Ash Council uh, during the Nixon administration. But anyway, going back, I remember we had this thing called merit pay. Do you remember merit pay?
1: We still have it.
3: Well, it, it's a different merit pay, but we forget that we had it before, and we kind of go back to we liked it the first time so much we reinvented it. <laughs> but we started talking about performance all the way back there. During my career in government, I held many different types of positions, primarily in the human capital and program management space. But along the line, something happened called uh, the Clinton administration and reinventing government the National Performance Review. I had been deeply involved in quality at that time, and uh, so we were supporting the administrator's office. And I helped them create their first new strategic plan. We can talk about it in more detail because I think it speaks to this idea about GIPRA and how do you have to reformat your thinking to achieve the outcomes that you're wanting to do. And we can talk about that. But just to summarize real quickly, uh, that period of time going from the National Performance Review, uh, then I supported the President's Council on Integrity and Efficiency, which were all the IGs in the federal space and talking to them about moving behind beyond compliance to effectiveness, which, again, speaks to your whole notion about performance because you can be 100% compliant and ineffective. You can be effective but not be compliant. And as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. You really do need, in government, three out of three. And so this whole idea about how do you measure performance And how do you construct performance has been something that, whether I'm in the federal space or now in my consulting practice, this is the the issue that matters most.
1: And you're at the Millennium Group. Tell our listeners about that.
3: The Millennium Group is a small 8A management consulting firm. We've been in business for about 16 years. We are primarily in the consulting space, not in the professional services space. And we really like to provide what we think are very high-impact, value-driven solutions. We work in partnership with our clients, but the key to our practice is new thinking. And so we like to work with people and reexamine what we're assumptions and building models of excellence.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, um, particularly in the times we live in right now where you feel like everything's new. You know, for somebody like me, I guess I'm showing my age. You know, for the kids, they just have this expectation that of course everything's new and fresh, and they're very open to new ideas. Um, so I can't. I, I do look forward to um, having a conversation with you, John, the rest of the show about the work you're doing at Millennium Group because it's really interesting. Um, of course, I'm the practical one, and I always come back to and how are we going to make that work for 1.9 million federal workers? Um, but we do need to take our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. With me in the studio to talk about opportunities and challenges in agency performance management is John Mullins. He is uh, chief strategy officer at the Millennium Group, and of course, John McKen- uh, John Kaminsky. Sorry about that. Um, who is with the IBM Center for Business of Government? But for you gurus, you everybody knows that he ran uh, Vice President Al Gore's National Partnership for Reinventing Government. So um, we, for those of you who just joined us, um, we were just sort of introducing both guests, and um, John Kaminsky was giving us a general overview of GIPRA, which is what has essentially set the requirement across the executive branch to set performance goals, uh, if I'm getting that right, and then figure out with measurements if you're meeting them. So, John, you were telling us um, sort of the... Uh, sort of beginnings of how Getbrick mm-hmm. came to be. Um, explain to our listening audience, what is the pur- what is the purpose, the congressional intent of the statute? And then we know, in tw- was it 2010? It went through mm-hmm. a modernization.
2: Right. Well, the intent of the statute was uh, fairly simple. It's to how to improve the performance of the operation of government uh, agencies and programs. Uh, in the 1990s, when the law was first passed, the emphasis or, or, or look uh, of everything was at the agencies. And it, was, and it was agency strategic plans, agency performance plans each year, agency performance reports. Green light, a, a red framework. light,
1: yellow light. Remember well, that? Not
2: yet. <laughs> um, so this was in the 1990s. And then what happened was in the Bush administration, they said, looking at the Bush, age, Bush one? Bush two. Bush two. Yeah, in the early 2000s, uh, when he uh, came into office, he said, well, it was just a compliance process, and we don't want compliance. We want actually to use performance information to make uh, a difference in, in performance. And so they shifted the emphasis of the unit of analysis from looking at agencies and agency performance to programs, and that led to the program assessment rating tool that OMB had. And so their unit of analysis was programs, and they looked at 1,000 different programs and assessed each program as to whether it was performing or not performing. And then uh, it, along comes the Obama administration said, a thousand things is too many things to look at. If you focus on a thousand, you're focusing on nothing. So they said, let's change the unit of analysis to a small handful of priority goals that the agencies will put some focus on. So it's not trying to cover everything that the agency is doing, but three to five things for each agency. And those are called agency priority goals. Well, yesterday the- uh, Are they published? The, the, yesterday they were published. Uh, as the update, so the, what the administration does is these aren't going to be long-term goals. These are goals that are to be achieved in a two-year period. So it's not like we're going to promise something by 2050. It's like what are we going to do by the end of this administration? So what happened though is that in 2010, Congress looked back at the history and the evolution of the Government Performance and Results Act and says what we need to do is fine-tune it. And so they introduced a number of provisions that took best practices that had evolved in the Clinton and the Bush and the early Obama administrations and put them in the law. And the key things was we're going to focus on priority goals. So now there's a law that says every two years agencies are going to develop a refresh priority goals. They will review them at least on a quarterly basis at the deputy secretary level on their progress. That information will then be published on the web. And so performance.gov is a website. They just published yesterday the updated goals for the 2016-2017 cycle. Names of individuals, which are goal leaders, have been designated for each one of these now. These are 92 goals across the entire federal government and then in addition to agency specific goals there's some additional goals that are reach across agency boundaries and right, they're they called call them cross-agency cross agency priority mm-hmm. goals and so those are things like reducing the real estate footprint in the government or making uh, sense out of the 200 or so agencies or uh, programs that uh, fund stem or a higher edu- higher uh, science uh, education programs to increase the number of people that have uh, a science and technology background. So those are some of the kinds of things that have evolved uh, over the years, and the emphasis now is on looking at things as a an outcome that you're trying to achieve, as opposed to merely a program. The other thing this administration did using this new law, the the uh, 2010 amendments is they said and while we're looking at 92 things and those are the priorities of the agency heads, we can't ignore the rest of what the government does. So what they've done is they've taken out of the strategic plans the strategic objectives, and there's across the government about 350, and annually assessing in progress of what's going on in the basket of uh, programs or services around a strategic objective, whether it's achieving food security for people in the Department of Agriculture's food and nutrition programs, or whether it's dealing with climate change that reaches into what EPA and other agencies are doing. So EPA, NASA, kind- NOAA. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it so, feel like
1: everything's cross-cutting?
2: Yeah. Well, not everything, but a lot, and that's what is happening, and that's one of the wonderful things that, that I think that uh, John Mullins' uh, group is doing is looking at how do you connect the dots between programs, and especially programs that reach across agency boundaries.
3: Well, thank you for that uh, handoff, John. I was, um, I was thinking about the GIPR plan that you were just talking about, and I'm remembering uh, some years ago I was uh, facilitating a strategic planning session with a, another federal agency here in town. In fact, it was EPA at the time. And uh, our mission and our vision was to enforce environmental laws, and that is the compliance model. Uh, the minister at the time and his leadership team um, said, is that all we're about? Do we have a higher calling? And they, they uh, changed them, uh, they didn't necessarily change the legislative authorities or the mission, but they said, let's aspire to something greater. Hmm. Let's have a higher moral purpose. Are, is it just to enforce the laws? Or are we really trying to improve the environment and human health? Now, what's interesting about that change is it's dealing with larger cross cutting issues. But more importantly, it changes the way you think, you plan, and you budget. And so when we start talking about it, we, we were talking earlier about how hard this is. Uh, that meant that, remember Deming always said you can optimize a process and sub-optimize a system. When we focus on trying to optimize our programs, we could very well lose the effectiveness of the whole. So the, one of the things that we work on, like when we were trying to, for that mission there, so we said, let's start thinking of ecosystems. Let's talk about the Chesapeake Bay. What does optimality look like? What does the Great Lakes look like? The Department of Interior is doing the same thing. The Customs and Border Patrols are trying to think the same way. How is uh, San Diego compared to another port of entry? So how are we doing these things? And I think that's talking about holes rather than parts. It's talking about outcomes rather than activities. And I think this is the promise of GIPRA.
1: Right. I think that, that that is the thing that resonated most with me just now was um, outcomes versus activities. When you think of the work of the U.S. government, the executive branch, mm-hmm. not the other branches of government. We say the government, and everybody knows what we're talking about, but people forget there are other, two other branches of government, the executive branch, the implementers. Um, it feels like the last 30, 40 years, very transactional, from move it from here to there. Um, and that no longer seems what... The citizens think government's about. Um, It's not about the transaction, it's about the outcome. Did it work? Is it good? Is it good for us? And the question of is it good for us feels like it's no, you know, it used to be very siloed. And it's interesting because we talk about silos, it came out of the 9 11 Commission, that expression. And I did some work for some clients, uh, individual clients, who were under investigation by the 9 11 Commission. And so I remember hearing that word silos and having actually in my brain the image of, you know, a nuclear warhead silo. Um, But the idea of silos, when I read, um, when I get ready for the show and I read all the material, silos is all over the government. It's just not in the area of national intelligence and intelligence collecting and working on national security issues. It's really everywhere. Um, Because what EPA does uh, is, is... certainly integrated with what NOAA does, and with what NASA does. Um, And yet, our federal funders, so I get back to the other branch of government, when they fund, because that's all the executive branch is left with, right? Mm -hmm. They're left with a mandate and funding. Um, But to me, when I think about government performance, I also think that you have to start on the front end, which is where the funders are. Because so much in government is cross-cutting, right? To me, I think that's the most interesting part, um, where the agencies really feel very siloed.
3: Well, that clearly complicates moving out of silos. One of the challenges we had when we did the strategic planning, we would have, when I was there, we'd have several hundred people in a room and we would talk about larger purpose goals. So how does water contribute to Chesapeake? How does solid waste contribute? House pesticides, all these people. But you have, as you said, you had the legislative authority regarding the budget, and monies can only be spent for the appropriated purpose. So how do you commingle, without using that word, because it's a legal term that's always wrong, but how do you combine, therefore, and synergize um, different types of funding streams Achieve a larger purpose. This requires creative thinking, it requires courage, and it requires vision. And these are the things. And we talk about the GAO audits and others are always talking. You can see these words in the background about how to think differently, how to act differently, how to plan differently, uh, because the 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 laws are are not necessarily restrictive, but they are. They do have boundaries, mm-hmm. and you have to think creatively. A- and I it.
1: actually think, John, that those laws, um, and but I'm off the topic of the show. We're going to move back into the topic because I'm in the other branch of government right now. I think those laws contribute to the compartmentalizing and the siloing. That if they rethought how they how government was organized, which um, the Obama administration asked them to do on day one and they never did, if they rethought it. Um, and then reshaped it, and then reappropriated it, I actually think it would go a long way to this results idea. Well,
2: And and I think that that is... But you're
1: sort of stuck with what you're stuck with. That's the executive branch. It's like, this is what I got. So now I got to do all this extra work to integrate and mm cross-cut and coordinate.
2: But see, in Congress's eyes, they're looking for accountability. And it's because... They can't see what the end result is going to be. So what they want is accountability over the inputs or the activities or the process. So by by specifying that, they it gives them a sense of, well, okay, we have some sense of what's going on. When you have the kinds of data, when you are able to articulate an outcome, when you're able to measure that, I think the theory is, is that Congress is going to become more, fam- more comfortable with letting go- loose of the inputs and focusing more on the outcomes. Mm-hmm. This has occurred at the state level. It's occurred in local governments. If you look at Baltimore, they've done some phenomenal things where they're now appropriating money and spending it around an outcome, whether it's cleaner streets or safer communities or better educated students. And they have specific metrics and goals for those things. And those things reach across agency departments.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really that's really interesting, right? Isn't that that's sort of the... Um, and you wonder, on, on a micro level in Baltimore, how they, how eventually they translate that into, you know, the U.S. federal government. Yeah.
2: And and that's where it becomes much more difficult. But that you can see that it does work at the state and local level. Sort of at least inspires me that it can work if you've, you you uh, have the right kinds of approach.
1: So John, you're saying that maybe Congress will get there, this idea of reshaping, reorganizing, reformulating what's important, right? And how, and the organization of government, if they had the right data, they're waiting for better data?
2: Uh, I think that that was a theory back in the 90s, and that that hasn't panned out. And so I think that it's now less the data than the, you know, show me the results. And so that's where I think that it, that moving towards this approach where They have now mandated this use of quarterly reviews, et cetera. When agencies take that and embrace it not as a requirement but as a way of doing business and are able to demonstrate. For example, um, yesterday when I was in that event with uh, OMB Director uh, Sean Donovan, he talked about how uh, when he was Secretary of HUD, worked with VA, they have to date reduced the number of homeless veterans by 50%. Congress cares about that. They may not care about all the different programs and processes, but they care about the end result, and it's being able to articulate that.
1: Um, and you know, I actually knew about that stat. Um, we had, I forgot, we had somebody from the VA on about a year ago mm-hmm. who was working in that program. Susan Engel? I think so, yeah. and um, and it was about a year ago, yeah. and I remember being very interested by that idea that she was work. they were working across government, um, how innovative that was. Why is that innovative? We'll get back. To, why, why do we view that as innovative, right? Um, but we, we have to take our mid show break. We are going to get back to this topic. I want to just, when we get back, do the high results, the findings from GAO, and then have John Mullins talk to us about this idea, this, this thing he's working on called operational intelligence, which um, um, gets us out of silos. Um, but we need to take our mid show break. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.
0: If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message.
1: Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. With me in the studio is John Kaminsky. Everybody remembers John Kaminsky. He was the deputy director for Vice President Al Gore's National Partnership for Reinventing Government, now a senior fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government. John Mullins, who is now with the Millennium Group, spent um, would you say twenty? Did you say twenty four years or
3: twenty seven, but who's counting twenty
1: seven years in the u s government working on human capital and program management. Um, and of course, what are we talking to today with these two individuals? We're talking about opportunities and challenging and challenges in agency performance management. And John Kaminsky, um you know that the gaO report, um, which I, I think they said they'd looked back the last two years of agency implementation of the GIPRA Modernization Act came out just recently. They had four high findings. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through them. Okay. I know you've written about them. Yeah.
2: Um, GAO has been mandated uh, in the 2010 law uh, amendments to the Government Performance and Results Act to annually assess the progress of the implementation of the provisions. There were about 150 changes to the law that were made in uh, uh, 2010. And they focused on four things. Uh, First of all, is they looked at the uh, cross-agency governance of the cross-agency priority goals, the 15 cross-agency priority goals, and looked at the the increased emphasis on how they wound up uh, doing that. Second thing they looked at is... uh, to me, which has been the bottom line, the usefulness and the use of performance information by managers. and Which we scored
1: uh, very low on.
2: Well, they uh, scored low, but not lower than in the past. It's just been basically not much of a change over the past 20 years, which to me is kind of discouraging. However, yeah, if discouraging. you look at the data, uh, it may be about a third of managers government-wide but when managers are asked about their priority goals in their agency, it's much higher. And when you're, so when you're dealing with a smaller subset of where it's concrete and there's a, a leadership attention and focus, the use of performance information skyrocketed. So if you, you take the data and you sort of begin to break it down, you begin realizing there are strategies that can be used more broadly To engage managers in using data to make their decisions. So I I found that while it looks discouraging on the surface, Mm -hmm. uh, that if you dig down a little bit, that's really actually uh, quite encouraging. The third thing they did is they looked at how do you link individual performance with agency performance. Oftentimes those are two different systems. I know, it's really tough. Completely different conversations.
1: And Jeff Neal, uh, we were talking about Jeff Neal um, before the show. Jeff Neal and I have been randomly talking about this for over a year now. Um, Not that I think any of us are going to solve it individually. Um, I think that's really tough. I think it's easy when your organization is 20, 50, 100 people. It's a little harder when your organizations, you know, over at DHS, they're 190,000. You break it down to CBP, they're 60,000 maybe it gets more manageable. See, I think that's, that's just I think that's a very there's, tough there's challenge but
2: that's where when yeah. you begin setting clear goals that are achievable and measurable at a higher level and begin cascading them down to the managers and and it's not just what are their goals but what are their contribution to broader goals.
3: What I was going to comment on and I think John is spot on when he, he talks about this segmentation of goals and priorities. Uh, what's interesting to me, though, is when you have something as a priority, is it falls into the urgent column. And urgency Red oh, exclamation right, mark. Right. And so people pay attention to it. Government is not about being urgent and episodic. It's about sustained performance over time. And when you make one thing more important than the other, the other thing drops out. And you wonder why we have low performance and low morale. So I don't think I'd want to work on the 10th most important program in the agency. I think my program becomes, because I'm there... I want to be able to associate my purpose and pride and work with what we're doing. I'd like to think it's important.
1: All right, that's so, what the engagement survey supposed found.
3: Exactly. So I, I think one of the things that you, as you know, I'm a former examiner for the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award for Performance Excellence, and I wanted to focus on the last part, performance excellence. When you look at Baldrige award-winning companies, and we have, uh, we've had two uh, federal agencies that actually um, also won the award. One of the things that come out, though, is they measure in public. Measurement is public. And it is. we called it in the old days management by fact. We now call it evidence-based decision-making. It, I'm not saying it's the same old wine in a brand-new bottle, but there, it's still it's management by fact. And what we're really striving with in GIPRA and everything else is how to deconstruct these operations and these programs so everybody is measuring and everybody is using data to improve performance. And I think that one of the challenges that you saw with John sucker about people are not using data on a regular basis, it is not accessible. Secondly, as a former program manager, I know that everybody who came in to report, and I love these monthly meetings, everybody picks the point of their data they're going to report on. So you're measuring from the 15th, you're measuring from the 17th, you're measuring dollars, you're measuring coins. Uh, what, what's, the tra- what's the universal measurement guide? So when you talked about operational intelligence platforms earlier, when you brought that up, one of the things that operational intelligence does is it pulls data from core systems of record. So we're measuring it co- pulls app- them from the core systems of record. So when we're implementing such things, and by the way, that this is they don't sit on silos, they sit across silos. So what the point of that whole conversation is you get meaningful data that's relevant and meaningful now that measures apples to apples, oranges to oranges. That's
2: really hard. But that is the fourth point in the GAO report. Yes. It says the fourth. says reliable and complete financial and performance information yes. is clearly a, a foundation for being able to pull this whole thing up. And
1: John Kaminsky, how'd they do? What GAO find?
2: GAO found it to be quite problematic mm-hmm. in agencies. And that's where I think that uh, the, the big challenge is, is at what point do you say, okay, I'm mean, going to use performance information to make decisions versus when can I trust it? And what I've found from experience is until you start using the data, it won't get better. And so if people say, well, we have to wait until the data are better before we use it, it's when you start using it that suddenly people pay attention to it and start making it it work better. I found it amusing at one point when I was doing Reinventing Government as I had a deputy agency head come to me and, and she said, well – you know, we're doing balanced scorecard, and I pulled this data from uh, my uh, regional, the state regional commissioners, uh, and, and I used it to assess their performance. And they howled, saying the data were terrible. And was you their can't data. use it. And when it she was, said, well, it was your data, and they said, their and their data. answer was, we didn't know you were going to use it. Oh, my goodness. And so after that, they began submitting better data. That's a great
1: example. Right. It's a great example. It also, you know, that word accountability, which I abhor, um, it's just a catchphrase. I think it's a catchphrase, frankly, for in this very highly charged political climate of um, finding a way to punish. But um, it also is a way to get accountability in the data collection. Once once you start using it and people start seeing the problems with it, then they actually focus on collecting better data or fixing how they're, they're, you know, you know fixing how or what they collect as as data points right yeah. i mean that that's the whole point of that's the whole point you're making about start using data regardless of whether you think it's good or not
2: but the the to me one of the great examples was what happened in the recovery act where they began collecting perform uh, financial not performance data but financial data and they did it through a separate stream outside the agency regular processes and found that the stuff was actually being reported publicly and the reporters, which were the people receiving the money, actually started providing more accurate data mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if they wound up on the Drudge Report or something like that for inaccurately reported data, then, then people knew. Right. And so when you start doing the public uh, transparency of the data and people begin questioning it, then it gets better, and then you wind up having uh, data that you can actually use to make decisions with. and it becomes more real and, that's, and timely.
1: That's exactly what I wanted to get back to because I think it was in finding number three where they surveyed these managers across government and eighty percent said that they weren't they didn't have the data or they weren't using data. they didn't have access to data mm-hmm. um, to help them make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is the whole one of the large parts that's one of the large, ideas about data collection is to use yeah. it to make better decisions because i know john mullins has written on that yeah. right well, isn't that well, what one we're tra- of
2: the things that was really insightful to me was with the recovery act data the presumption was that it was going to be used by advocacy groups and reporters and citizens to find out what's going on in reality the greatest users were other government agencies because they were able to find out for the first time what their colleagues were doing, or in the case of state governments, what their local governments were getting from the federal government. So this notion of transparency is inside government, and people are starved for the kinds of data that you're talking about, uh, and this transparency push by the Obama administration has been more beneficial to other agencies than necessarily the, the yeah. public and, and advocacy. that speaks
3: groups. to, we talked about this in, um, earlier about network networked management the federal government when you talk about federalism it is not a monolith it is not the federal government it is the states it's a local government you may have ngos there's a number of players by the way we the us all...
1: government rarely acts singularly right
3: exactly anymore exactly well the problems are far too complex the federal government doesn't have jurisdiction over the solution they can be a force for the solution but they don't necessarily always own it so they have to work through this federalism uh, federalism uh, to make those things happen but that goes also back to the need for better data. You, you were talking about earlier about performance data, and one of the things, for example, one of our clients, they want to know, they have this thing called multi-source workforce, right? So one of our clients, we have uniform, we have civilians, we have contractors. You have a demand function, you have a performance expectation. What does optimality look like in terms of that array of workers? By the way, a FERS employee costs differently than a CSRS employee. There
1: are very few of those CSRSers left. Uh, we won't uh, have to worry about that soon.
3: Well, uh, eventually they will, like me, they'll be dinosaurs. But anyway, <laughs> I, I still value them, and we're, we're happy for them there. But the point is when you start looking at performance and you're looking at costs, there's a difference cost associated with that. But we can measure demand and, and and personnel and performance, but, you know, that's not really the full measure. We need to measure risk. Because you might find it's far more economical to have all contractors, but then you lose a core competency. What's that value? And it's not about performance today. It's about performance tomorrow and on, So that's sustained performance. By the way, it's not just compliance. It's impact and quality. It's not just impact. It's customer service and value. So, Customer mo-
1: service, which John Kaminsky's been all over for 20 years. He was, cu- he was all about customer service. So sir.
3: you see the complexity about performance and measurement. So when you ask our federal managers to measure and use data, Half the time, what they're finding is I don't have all the data I need.
1: That's what, and that's what GAO found.
3: Exactly, mm-hmm. and we need new data because historically, all the records systems of records have been essentially designed to provide compliance data, not performance data. So we need to add to our box of crayons. We need to add new colors if we're going to get to the contextual idea about measurement and management. Right,
1: and and John Mullins, I know that you. Um, we're gonna take a short break and come back right to you to talk about that because you 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 talk about the difference between operational intelligence and business intelligence. Sure, I'd be happy to. And um, and I think that's how all of this plays out practically, right at the agency, or should play out practically at the sure. agency level. Um, but we need to take the final break of our show. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. We're talking about opportunities and challenges in agency performance management. Who else would come and talk about that but John Kamensky um, of the IBM Center for Business Government, John Mullins of the Millennium Group? Um, and right before we took that last break, John Mullins, um, we were about to talk about operational intelligence, how that, what what is, how that differs from what we know as business intelligence, right? And and how should it play out inside federal agencies?
3: Well, thank you for asking that question. We're all very uh, comfortable, and we all know the term BI, business intelligence. Uh, if you've been watching the television and other programs, you see IBM talking about big data and modeling. Uh, operational intelligence is really that next stream of software technology. Gartner just recently created the term called operational intelligence platform. They've been monitoring the technology curve for some years and said there's something out there that's different. It's 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 more than BI. It's more than risk. It's more than governance. It, it, it's it's larger than that. And what what is it exactly? And so they it's coin- actually
1: like real intelligence.
3: It really is intelligence and operational intelligence platforms. One of the characteristics that are we can talk. There's a lot of variations about that, but one of the things that I think is most important to bring up is that. Operational intelligence, we talk about dashboards, we talk about uh, portals because it looks forward, not just backwards. You have BI, but yes, you can project, you can model. And one of the reasons why it can model, it can take data in real time. So you can actually start creating, taking inputs, streaming data. For example, on one of the projects uh, uh, of one of our Virginia companies is using uh, operational intelligence because they're bringing in data on the weather, video cameras, and they're looking at throughput and safety on the roads. They're knowing, where do I need to have, per, where's the potential next is going to be based upon the weather patterns? We can model and anticipate these things and predispose assets.
1: Right. And and for me, what I find most fascinating about um, what I read about operational intelligence is the whole idea that information in a program or an agency, a goal, a priority, um, could be very siloed. But... Um, success mm-hmm. is cross-cutting, right? Absolutely. And so when I read about your model or what you were talking about the right. model, it's really collecting data from lots of different unsiloed sources On any and then looking day. at it holistically, Absolute which friend. I don't think the government's good at.
3: Well, for, for us, normally when we are pulling data, we're pulling data from five to seven to nine different data sets, and we're creating complex indices around performance measurement. So this truly translates into the balanced scorecard because you're getting data on financial performance, engagement, you're getting on, on program performance, you can pull data from, and also because your operational intelligence platforms have workflow tools in them, you're actually, every time someone makes a change in the status of a project.
1: How do they collect all that data? That sounds massive. Well, It just it, sounds
3: massive. It is massive. And, and organizations, uh, the operational intelligence can only be as sophisticated as subordinate systems as collecting data from
2: and the permission to yeah.
3: use it. And the, the permission data. to use it.
2: Because there's a lot of restrictions inside government for privacy and security reasons is about sharing data. And that's where there's difficulty of sharing it between agencies. But the thing that that is uh, encouraging, in the, especially in the Obama administration, is there now as a policy of agencies are to share their administrative data. Yes. Which it used to be presumed
1: that... What does that it, mean, administrative data? Administrative data, like like data is, Budget?
2: Uh, no, it's, it's things like uh, TSA is collecting, uh, just on routine basis, how many people are in line, how long are they in line. Uh, the Weather Service collects information on uh, weather. Uh, the uh, FAA collects information on aircraft uh, disposition and delays. Well, you take those three sets of data and you begin pulling them together. You can predict how long the lines are going to be, whether your plane's going to arrive on time, et cetera. So wow. wow. what it is that's, is that's it's, big data. it's pulling those kinds right. of data together and making sense out of them and mapping them. And mm-hmm. that's where this operational intelligence right. comes in. As you can say, but we're going to have how, a backup
1: at How do you build a program to do that? That sounds very complicated.
3: Well, I, I, it's, I don't think the – my experience has not been as complicated, but it does require new thinking. And it does require thinking that's outside the box. And, and I always tease people, I said, get outside the box and jump in the circle. You got to change where your perspective is. And I think for many program managers, they have been accountable for, you use the word, accountable for their program. They haven't been accountable for performance. And there's a difference. The idea about having a positive impact on something, you can be compliant and you're fine. But having a performance, when you, you were just talking about some of the guys who just got these huge awards uh, last night. These people thought the Sammys. Yeah, they yeah. thought outside the box. They they took the measure of performance larger than compliance, and I think we also the organizations. They wanted need...
1: to achieve a result that favored um, the American citizens, or in some cases, humankind. The they woman had an
3: external external yeah. measure of performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very personally driven on doing good. Public service motivation, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: exactly.
3: Which the
1: engagement survey I always think is very interesting, mm-hmm. year after year when they rank. Federal employees. What's most important to them? But why they go into why they go into the federal government? It's not about pay. It's about doing public service. Like number one, every time.
2: Well, what I thought was very interesting is that Obama's recruited a lot of tech talent for three to six, uh, three uh, six to twelve month tours here in D.C. These are people that are highly paid, highly motivated, well treated. Two thirds of them have stayed, and they have gone into agencies because they have them uh, got the public service bug mm-hmm.
3: and not only that we have the most interesting work in the world mm-hmm. yeah going to if you the, the Sammy's,
1: yeah you was you you'd be like wow i can't believe government does when that. i worked
3: at the public health service i never recruited anybody we attracted talent you go to nasa they attract talent no one else in the place and there's no place on the planet you can do the work that nih does mm-hmm. and, so,
1: and, and he won um the uh federal employee of the year award the um head of NIH Cancer Institute, and he said that. Yeah. He said, I can't believe that um, I was able to do what I was able to do just because I worked for the government. Mm-hmm. It was very inspiring. Um, but off the sammies and back onto <laughs> operational intelligence, there's a couple of concepts in there, John Mullins, I want to talk about. You talk about the convergence between needs and capabilities and moving from content to context.
3: Well, I think we've covered most of this. So the, the only thing I was going to say about moving the— I call it the convergence, which is a matching of complex needs and technology solutions. I think we've come to a point in time with operational intelligence platforms that the government has new capabilities to answer what has historically been systemic challenges to performance. We can now, using even existing legacy systems uh, with these new technology tools, model and solve problems historically that we have been beyond our grasp. The second thing, because of operational intelligence that sit above silos, you can now start cons- constructing performance models that provide color and contrast to what historically has been in the past, which has been activity-based measurement. So now we can start talking about holes and solutions rather than, than, uh, than parts. And the, finally, the other thing I, I talk about is moving from the silo to the network. This John, I think, spoke most eloquently about this, about this larger federalism. And yes, there are restrictions on data, but we can overcome many of these barriers by thinking and asking new questions. And the data is, a lot of it's, we have stat data all over the country. We can start pulling this. I remember talking years ago when PART first came out. This really was the first time we started thinking broader than our function and our and our particular agency. And we could compare and contrast performance across government.
1: And you know, to me, John Mullins, what was most interesting at this point you're making right now, this across government, mm-hmm. big, big um, questions, um, big endeavors, is that GAO in their recommendations, like on page 97, that goes on for, I don't know, like 10 pages. They got like 100 recommendations. They all, almost all, involve the deputy secretary and the secretary of agencies just doing those things, holding meetings, looking at GIPRA data, um, at, you know, I mean, it was like, it was the same thing for each agency. It was, you know, an alphabet soup. Agriculture, you know, commerce, every agency got dinged for not doing the very same thing. It's Like, you sit here and say, well, we could ask these questions. Apparently, GAO knows who the people are who are supposed to be asking these questions and, and coming up with these um, strategies.
2: But this it does work. You look at they the, should just have their
1: meetings. Yeah. That's if, what I got. but if, yeah, but, if, <laughs> but if you
2: look at the uh, acting commissioner for Social Security, she holds these bi-monthly uh, meetings, and they they noted and, that in and, their and, report. And she was able to identify where in the my Social Security effort where they're trying to uh, increase the number of people that sign up online. And they did it. Mm-hmm. And they. It wasn't their the gold.
1: independent agencies. It was mostly yeah. the cabinet-level agencies, cabinet-level departments. that GAO said either at the secretary level or at the deputy secretary level. Um, you know, they they had to um, sort of do that do that hard work that John Mullins was talking about. Ask these questions, you, you know, and and then refocus. I guess.
3: What John is saying, though, and what GAO is saying, is leadership matters. And it's not surprising in the Baldrige framework, category one is leadership. And in the absence of a driver, in terms of data-driven expectations, someone has to start the engine. And it's, a, it's But it's across
1: government. That's my co- point. It, was like, it wasn't like they found a couple agencies. They went through the entire cabinet and said it's not happening.
3: Right. Leadership has to take this on.
1: Mm-hmm. And that gets me, in the last um, one minute of our show, John Kaminsky, some predictions you might have Um, for where you see this field heading, particularly what would be the big agenda items in this field for the next administration?
2: Big uh, question. Well, the IBM Center is working with the Partnership for Public Service on this very issue. We're developing what's called a management roadmap. We're holding a series of roundtables over a period of months. Our first roundtable was around executive talent and what needs to happen there. And it's how do you bring the career and the political executives... And, it's, and and identifying among that pool of, it's about 10,000 people, uh, the subset that actually run things and do things and focus on them. And so that report will be out in the next week or so uh, as advice to the next administration. And also, how do you begin tying together a lot of the decision frameworks, whether it's evaluation or performance measurement or risk management or strategic foresight? How do you, for a new leader, the deputy secretaries, Pull those things together so they make some sense. Yeah.
3: And I I applaud what John. John's absolutely the right step. The only thing I would add color differently to this, uh, if I was adding one more color to the the crayon box, is I really think that the expectation, we talked about this earlier, of the American citizens is changing the relationship between the government and the governed. And Mm -hmm. the government needs to take a real good measure about how effective and how value-added the service is because of the fact that the government is here for the citizens, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And twenty years ago, in my last thirty seconds of the show, the um, the one of the outcomes of re-engunting government was that many people had customer service elements added to there. And and twenty years ago, it was how nice were you when you answered the phone? Really, that's what it was. How many people hung, did you hang up on? Today, um, you know, customer service ain't about answering telephones. Um, you know, it's producing results for the American public. So. Very different questions, you know, two decades later. Um, So maybe we're going to do the show again in a year, right on the cusp of a new administration. I want to thank John Kaminsky and John Mullins both for joining me here today. Thank you. Um, And um, thank you for all the good work you're doing in this field.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye now.